The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And a very pleasant good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we bring you our weekly look at what's going on with the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And it appears that the Reds have come back down to earth. Meanwhile, the Indians are still trying to find their feet throughout the first couple of weeks of this Major League Baseball season. And, of course, as always, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, and find out what's happening with the Cincinnati Reds this week. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, and it seems like uh, the world is upside down. A lot of good teams are near the bottom of their respective divisions, while some surprise teams like the Reds are at the top of their division. Now, and in fairness, I don't expect the Reds to be there next week, but as you play the opening, uh, the, the, the pennant-winning game, I think we should have a tribute to the Reds being in first place after the first two weeks in the season. Well, you remember the story I told you last week about Lee Corso when he was the head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers, and they came to Ohio Stadium and played the Ohio State Buckeyes under Woody Hayes, and Indiana ran back the opening kickoff and led it 7 to nothing. And all of a sudden, Lee Corso took a timeout, and why did he do it? Because he wanted the fans in the stands to be able to see Indiana over Ohio State for a few moments. <laughs> so maybe that's what we should do with the Reds. You know, a week or so ago, they were in first place in the National League Central, and everybody should have taken pause and actually put that on their their desktop, that the Reds were actually in first place. But you know what, Mark? After a 7-2 and two start, for the Reds, they're now eight and five, so they've lost one of their last four. Those were to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers came in. Eric Thames was, boy, he was just a man amongst men in that series against the Reds, hitting five homers. Yeah, I saw all those games, and I tell you, that guy, he's scary. Uh, he reminds me of an in-shape Prince Fielder. I mean, he's strong and he's quick, and he's got a level swing. Uh, it's going to take National League pitchers a little while to figure him out because he doesn't have a lot of holes in that swing. And he's the thing I like about it, Dave, is he's quick to the he's quick to the plate and he's quick to the ball. That means he doesn't load. Uh, if you're a baseball player, you know what that means. But it means when a guy goes up there and he has to kind of load up muscularly and and step into the pitch. This guy doesn't do that. He's like it's like a karate chop when he swings, and that is awfully hard for for a pitcher to get a ball by a guy who does that. He's incredibly quick, and Joey Votto's quick too. He's that way, but Joey Votto doesn't have the power this guy has. Now again, we're talking about the first week in the season, and there's a lot of things that could happen that will happen. What's going to happen with this guy is National League pitchers will figure out 
the weakest part of his swing, and they will start getting him out. Then it goes to him to make an adjustment to their adjustment. And that game is played throughout the year, and the hitter that can make those adjustments, uh, he'll, he'll be the one who will win out at the end because uh, he's got the ability with the talent he's got to make adjustments if he's not a knucklehead. And a lot of hitters are knuckleheads. They, re- they refuse to change their approach. And in the end, the, the pitchers will wear them out. But this guy, he's got a lot of talent. Mark, I know everything you said there was insightful, but you lost me at an in-shape Prince Fielder. What, what does <laughs> an in-shape Prince Fielder look like? We never saw an in-shape Prince Fielder. We never saw an in-shape Cecil Fielder. We've never seen a fielder that's in shape. <laughs> You're right, and I, I, I guess I conjured up that if you compressed Prince Fielder, this guy with his muscles and his legs and his butt, he's strong. There's not an ounce of fat on that guy. And, uh, you know, if I could put Prince Fielder into a shrinking machine, that's what he'd come out looking like. Here's the disturbing thing about the Reds that I think is – is really they, they've really got to shore this up. Last year it was the bullpen. This year it's the starting pitching. They're averaging just four and one-third innings pitched as a starting staff this year. That is not going to cut it through 162 games. Yes, but in fairness, if you take away Finnegan's last two starts where he went two innings and one inning respectively, that really ate into the the average, but even with that, you're right. Uh, the starting pitching has not been good. What I'm hoping is that the Reds could play 500 ball uh, up until June, and at that time they're going to get back Devin Mezzarocco, Homer Bailey, DeSclafani, and now Finnegan. They'll have all four of those guys back, and that that does present a formidable pitching staff. If you get Bailey and and DiSclafani back and they're healthy, those guys can win some games. So the problem is if the Reds are 15 games behind the Cubs at June 1st, it won't matter. So hopefully the Reds can stay close, play 500 ball, get their team back. And Mesorocco, I think, can add a lot of depth and length to that lineup if he's hitting. He's only hitting 203, but uh, I think he'll do fine at the big leagues. Well, one thing that the schedule has done is something that Brian Price has not been able to do with his starters in his bullpen, Mark, and that's give the bullpen a rest because tonight's the first night in 20 days that the Reds have had off. Yeah, and that, that's been a hardship on the bullpen. But, I, Dave, the bullpen it has pitched very, very well. They blew up on Friday night, but you take that out of there and they would be leading the league in both ERA and uh, WHIP uh, for their bullpen, which is – a huge 180 from where they were last year, which was the statistically the second worst baseball or second worst bullpen in the history of baseball. Now that's that, that's saying something when you can say anything in the history of baseball. That's how bad that bullpen was, and this year uh, it's much better. They have much more depth, and guys are throwing the ball well. Mark, before we get into the Indians, you know, Brian Price, on an interview with one of the radio stations in Cincinnati, made the comment over the weekend that, 
yeah, he's he's changing things up in this bullpen. He's throwing guys a couple innings here, a couple innings there. He doesn't really have a closer, doesn't really have a setup man. But when you look back at that big red machine team in the middle 70s, he made a comment that I never knew, never understood, or I, I guess I didn't realize Pedro Bourbon threw over 500 innings in three years for that big red machine in 75, 76, and 77. That is an unbelievable amount of innings pitched for a relief pitcher. Yeah, I'd like to check that. That is almost unbelievable. It's 100 and, what, 100 and, no, I can't be right. It's 160 innings a year for three years, 500 innings. You know, I could almost believe it. You know, Sparky used Bourbon a lot. Yeah, but that's that's more than some starting pitchers threw. Yeah, we have to check that one out. I mean, if it's true, it is truly a incredible statistic. If it's true, it's not unbelievable. It's just it's it's incredible. Uh, I'll check that out because uh, that that's a lot of innings for three years, five hundred innings. So I'm, I'll do some homework on that. Yeah, I mean, and and I thought that was just that was one of those things that boy, when you you look at him, you know, but he had a rubber arm. If you remember him, Mark, boy, he, he could pitch every day and nothing bothered him. Yeah, you're right. And and he did come in. I mean, that's the average. If it's 525 innings, that's 175 innings a year. A lot of starters don't pitch that often. But, uh, yeah, Port and Bourbon would come in in the sixth inning, in seventh inning, and finish the game a lot of times. And he had he didn't have a great fastball. He didn't need it, though. His ball moved a lot. He threw from different arm angles, and he reminded me a little bit of um, the guy for the Giants, uh, the right-hander. Uh, his name was in my brain and left. But uh, back in the 70s, uh, he, he pitched a lot of innings from a lot of different angles and, and was a huge success for the Giants, and that's the way poor Bone was. I always wondered if the Reds should have made him a starter because he, he was – he had great stuff, and his ERA was, you know, into the twos for three, four, five years in a row. Mark, here's here's Pedro Bourbon's stats. In 1972, he threw 122 innings. In 1973, 121. In 1974, 139. In 75-125. 76-121. And 77, 127. Now, just off the top of my head, and I'm not a math whiz, that is 600 inning, close to 600 innings pitched over a span of six, it's over 600, it's almost 700 innings pitched in a span of seven years. Yeah, that I can believe. I mean, th- those numbers are high, but I can, you know, those are reachable numbers. That's actually 755 uh, appearances in one, two, three, four, five, divided by six, you know, that's, uh, 125 appearances over that period. Yeah, that innings pitched. Oh, innings pitched, innings pitched. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's 125 innings pitched. Uh, yeah, I can believe that. Uh, but I thought you said it was 500 some innings over three years. That would have been a right. lot. Right, that's what, that, that, that's what, uh, Price said, but, you know, right. if you total this up, it's actually five. It's actually five hundred over four years. That's still a lot of innings. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Over four years, it's four hundred and yeah, it's five hundred. 
Uh, he just got one year wrong, but that makes a big difference in the average number of appearances. But see, no matter what it is, it's a hell of a lot of innings pitched uh, by a guy who had a rubber arm, as you said. And uh, that that doesn't happen anymore out of the bullpen, guys. You know why, Dave? It's interesting. I heard a comment uh, over the weekend. I, I forgot what game I was watching, but they said that uh, today's metrics for pitchers is so different than it was 20, 30 years ago that unless a kid in high school is throwing 93, 94, they don't even look at him. So what you have are a lot of guys coming up. By the time they're grown men pitching in the big leagues, they can throw at 96, 97, 98. Number one, they don't know where it's going in a lot of cases. And number two, it's not their arm is not meant for long-term durability. Uh, you can throw that way for a while, but if you're trying to throw 97, 98 years old when you're or 90 miles an hour while you're in your 30s, uh, you're going to have a short career. Kids don't learn to pitch, and I, I wish they would de-emphasize because yesterday the Reds had another rookie start, Sal Romano, and he was about as unpolished a guy coming into a game I have seen recently, other than Rookie Davis, another rookie that the Reds brought up. His name is Rookie, by the way, Rookie Davis. Right. They threw very, in similar ways, they just rear back and throw it as hard as they can. They've got a hard slider. They're throwing at 91, 92 miles an hour. Their fastball's topping out at 97, 98, except they don't know where it's going. These guys are throwers. They're not pitchers. And, you know, I just wonder how many arms have to be ruined like a Homer Bailey before they realize they have to spot the ball, they have to have a change-up, they have to have a cutter, and they have to throw it over the damn plate. Well, the prime example is Bartolo Colon. He came up throwing 95, 96 miles an hour and then became a pitcher. He understands how to pitch, and he's still he's 43 years old, still pitching for the New York Mets and still winning. Forget the fact that he's pitching. He's still winning ball games. Yeah, and that's that's the point. You can you don't have to throw 98. Like the home run that Ryan Braun hit yesterday was on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. Well, I don't care how hard you throw, and Chapman's a perfect example. Uh, last year in, in the series, uh, somebody pulled a, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball down the left field line. They yanked it down the line. These major league hitters... They'll catch up with the fastball. I don't care how hard you throw. They're going to hit it. And, you know, Warren Spahn said hitting is timing and pitching is interrupting timing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so true. You, you can throw 85, 86 miles an hour and get major league hitters out all day. But the, the guys are not taught that. And I've seen enough games at the Dayton Dragons these kids don't know how to pitch, these young kids. And the, I don't know what the coaches are teaching them other than get your arms stronger, get your legs stronger so you can throw harder, and it doesn't seem to be working. And it's not just the Reds. No, it's not. Well, the Indians finally got their way. As, they, as we head into tonight's action against Minnesota, the Indians have a 2-1 to lead over the Twins, by the way. And the Twins are one of the surprise teams in the American League so far throughout the first couple of weeks, Mark. But the Indians are 5-7 and seven heading into the game. They lost two out of three games to the Tigers at home over the weekend. But they finally got their way. 
Mark. They finally did. And the way they got their way, they have been trying for a year and two weeks to send Tyler Naquin to the minor leagues. They finally did it. They sent Tyler Naquin to the minor leagues to bring Lonnie Chisenhall off the DL and put him back on the active roster. Now, it's paid off for Chisenhall because he had a grand slam home run on Friday night, his first game back uh, against the Tigers. And he's he's been doing pretty well. He's in center field tonight against the Twins. But, you know, one of the things that I've been saying for the last year, they, they have been find, trying to find any reason to send Tyler Naquin down, and eventually they didn't really need a reason except for Lonnie Chisenhall needed a spot on the in the roster. What's what's the problem with him and management? No idea. No idea. You know, he's not one of their bonus babies. He's 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 a a a guy that was not a star at the minor league level. He really came out of nowhere and basically won the center field job a year ago, but they've got it in their heads that he cannot hit left-handed pitching. They they will not put him in against left-handed pitching, and they've been trying to find somebody that would take over that center field spot for the last you know last year it was Rajay Davis, this year they brought in Austin Jackson. Well, Austin Jackson really hasn't done the job, so they bring in Lonnie Chisenhall. Lonnie Chisenhall is a converted third baseman, and now suddenly he's playing center field. It's a it's a a, a dilemma. It's a quandary. I really have no idea why these guys have a burr in their saddle over Tyler Naquin the way that they do, but they do. And they also have a problem with Jan Gomes. Mark, they signed Jan Gomes two years ago to a four-year deal, one of the first guys that they signed to a contract uh, for long term. Now, two years ago, he was a very, very big part of their ball club. He hit 280, hit 17, 18 home runs, looked like he was in the prime of his career. Great catcher, good arm behind the plate, good success at throwing out base runners at second base and third base, base stealers. And then last year had an injury-riddled season. Mark, it's gotten to him. He has only two hits this year as the starting catcher, and he just seems to change his batting stance as often as the wind blows in Cleveland, which everybody knows is a lot. And he just is unable to get himself in any rhythm. I think it's about time that they're going to have to make a decision on sitting him down for a while and going with Perez behind the plate. Yeah, it's, you know, the Indians have a, a dilemma in somewhat ways because they have so much talent on that roster. They've got a lot of options. And with guys who aren't playing well, I think it puts a lot of pressure on them because they know they go over 10, over 12, uh, they make a couple errors, they give up a few home runs, and they're going to be out of there. Now, for the team, that's great because you've got a lot of depth in that organization. And how would you rate this year, if you're comparing your 25-man roster, uh, assuming everybody's healthy, is it better this year because of Encarnacion? Does he make that big a difference? Uh, how would you rate the 25-man rosters? You know, it's it's hard to compare right now because Encarnacion is not hitting the baseball. He's hitting 210. Uh, he's he's hit one home run. He's really had 
a tough time at the plate. But he's not he's hitting the ball. He's not striking out, Mark. He's hitting him right at people. And and I think that's a big thing. Same way with Yandy Diaz at third base. He's not hitting the ball either, but he's hitting scorching shots right at people. And normally when that happens, you know a guy's going to break out of it. Where I've got a question about Encarnacion is, is he a as good a locker room person as Napoli was? Napoli was the type of guy with the Indians a year ago, Mark, that was a leader. He was a good clubhouse guy. He invited everybody in. He was a friend to everyone in the clubhouse. You know, I've heard good things about Encarnacion, but the thing about it is, is he the same? Is the chemistry a little bit different? The way I look at it, Mark, talent-wise, I think this this roster has more talent than last year's team. I'm not going to say by far, but at this point uh, now, at the same time a year ago in April, after the second week, remember we were playing, what was that third baseman's <laughs> name that I couldn't stand they, that they signed him, they finally cut him in June. Uh, he was the third baseman. Now you've got a youngster in Yandy Diaz who I think has got a fine future. I think he's got a good future with this team. Uh, but I think they're going to run into a problem. you know. And, again, keep in mind, Kipnis is still on the DL. Kipnis will be back around the 1st of May, the middle of May. They'll probably send Diaz down at that point in time and move Jose Ramirez back to third base. He's playing second right now. But Jose Ramirez is another guy that was hitting line drives all over the place. And now he's starting to break out. He had two home runs against the Tigers on Saturday and had a good day at the plate yesterday. Nonetheless, I think to answer your question, this team has got more talent on it right now than it did a year ago this time. As I look at the Reds and kind of answer that question about the Reds, um, I, I think the Reds are significantly stronger this year. They're, they're 25-man roster. But what is even more impressive, I think, is their 40-man roster. Uh, they, they've got some real talent up and down, and they got some real talent coming up in double-A ball. So from an organizational perspective, the Reds are light years better than they were two years ago and substantially better than they were a year ago. Now, you made a comment before we went on the air that the Reds brought up uh, Jesse Winker, and uh, he is a talent. You know, it's funny, Dave. You can look at a guy, take batting practice. You can I've seen him on film a dozen times uh, or more. I've seen him in person probably that many games. He's a hitter. This guy's going to hit. He may not hit 40 home runs, but he is a Joey Votto type hitter, uh, very patient. Uh, he's going to hit you 280 to 320 probably every year he plays. And when you have that kind of talent that can't crack the lineup, that tells you right there that you're better off than you were a year ago. But uh, w- when the Reds get those four starters back, I- I'm still. I think the the jury is still out on Scott Shebler. I'm not sure he's going to make it. And I told you last week that Billy Hamilton, uh, you know, I, I just don't see him. I know he was hitting well last week. Well, he's hitting 235 now. His on-base percentage is 259. He's a great defensive player. He made a play yesterday. <laughs> it was just unbelievable the catch he made. But, Dave, he's hitting 235. And I, I don't see him hitting more than 240. And I'm going to ask this question every week. Can you afford – to be a contending team 
and have a center fielder that's hitting 235, 240 with maybe three or four or five home runs a year, and I don't think you can. A center fielder? Yeah. Well, you've got Billy Hamilton playing center, and he's hitting 300. Billy Hamilton is hitting 235. Not this year. <laughs> Check it out. I'm going to because last last week, last Monday night, he was hitting 310. That's right. He's hitting 235. Unless these stats are wrong, he's going off the Reds. Uh, um, yeah, that's right. After 12 games, he's hitting 235. And, uh, you know, that's why I said last week, one week does not a season make. And he's got three RBIs. Uh, he's got five stolen bases. And he plays great defense. And I'll keep asking the question, is that a luxury? Could the Cleveland Indians win their division with a center fielder hitting 230-235? Absolutely. Why? Why? Yeah. Because they've got, they've got hitters up and down the lineup. That's right. And the Reds don't. And that's the difference. And the Indians pitching is better. So, you know, it's my question is that if you're if you have an outfielder hitting 235 and, and Shevler is hitting under 200, uh, I don't see that. He's hitting 205. I don't see that outfield as being an outfield that a contending team can have. And that's why I hope they do something with Winker, because I don't think either Shebler or Hamilton can provide enough punch. I mean, look, Hamilton's hitting a weak 235, and that, that's the problem. And he doesn't get on base a lot. So I, I love Billy Hamilton. If, if I was a Cleveland Indians, I would trade, I would trade for Billy Hamilton, because he can make your team better with what he does. But he doesn't bring enough to the party to help the Reds. And I just wonder if the Reds are going to make that make that decision uh, as it relates to, Henry, uh, to to Winker, Jesse Winker, and put him in, in left field and put Shevler in center. At least Shevler has some power. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I'm not sure that Hamilton is a luxury the Reds can retain. Well, I, I like Billy Hamilton. I'd take him on the Indians, definitely. I'd put him in center field and bat him ninth and wouldn't wouldn't worry about it, wouldn't bat an eye about the whole thing. Um, what surprises me is last Monday night against Pittsburgh, he was batting three ten, and now all of a sudden he must have gone over the week. He did. He, he didn't. He. I think he had. Uh, I think he only had two hits in the Milwaukee series and um, struck out several times. But again, you know, it's the averages will fluctuate greatly through to the end of May. So he could have a, a big series and be hitting over 300 again, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And I said that last week when he was hitting 310. I told you I didn't think it was going to last, and I, I don't think it will last. So these are the kinds of decisions you have to make. You said the guy on TV said the Reds have to start over. Well, I think they do. And I, I just wonder, I look up and down this roster, uh, I, I do not I do not get the Bronson Arroyo situation. Uh, he's 0-2. He's got a ERA, something like, uh, they're hitting 317 against him. His ERA is 9.9. And you can't, you can't tell me that they don't have some guys in AAA or even AA that can do that. So why would you put Bronson Arroyo in that rotation? He's not going to perform and he's taking up a spot. I, I, that I do not get. 
Well, again, I go back to the same question I asked last week. You you stuck up for the Cubs last year when they didn't, or two years ago when they didn't bring up Chris Bryant, saying you know because of the the way it is, uh, teams want to hold on to the the younger players for an extra year. Yes, well, but maybe that's the same situation here with the Reds. No, the the Reds have on their twenty five man roster. They have Robert Stevenson. Why wouldn't you start Stevenson? in a royal spot, and find out what he's got. It's been three damn years. Put the guy in there and find out if he's any good or not. They I've, got been saying that's, I've been saying that for the last year and a half. Yeah, and I agree with you. Oh, my God, we're agreeing. Uh, but to, to have Bronson Arroyo take up a spot for Robert Stevenson, find out what Stevenson's got. Put him in there. they got Tim Adelman. He's better than Arroyo. There's probably ten guys on that 40-man roster that are better than Arroyo. Why? And he's lost two of the four, what, they've lost five games? He's lost two of them. So it, it, the, those kinds of things drive me insane because there's no logic to it. There, there's nothing well, to be gained by it. And he starts tomorrow night. I know. That's what drives me insane. Well, he'll something will happen where either he will quit the Reds will let him go, or he'll turn it around. Yeah, there's, unless he gets hit by lightning, I guess those are the three options in life. <laughs> but but you feel, why why was now the time for Winker? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure what he can prove. He hit, th- what, 303 last year in AAA. Uh, he, he plays decent defense. I'll tell you who's an underrated defensive player is Adam Duvall, and he can play right field. And they'll probably put Winker in left field, Duvall in right, and Shevler in center, unless uh, Davis starts hitting, uh, or Hamilton starts hitting. So there's a lot of, I, I think, things that can happen with this team, but now it becomes the manager's choice to start making decisions about personnel. And when you're, you know, 25 games out of first place, people don't look at those things carefully. Right now the Reds are in first place, they're not going to be there next week, I can almost assure you. But, uh, you know, they can win some games this year. And you start finding out if these young kids are any good. You know, Peraza had a great year the last, what, four months of the year. He was great last year. Well, he's hitting 240 now. So has the league figured him out? Uh, have the defenses figured him out? Uh, is he for real? Uh, this is the year you find out what you got. And I think what the Reds have in some cases, like Suarez, I, I think Suarez is going to be a star. I, I think this guy, talk about a quick bat. He's playing incredible defense, really playing incredible defense. So, But the but, problem the Reds have yep, is, say. <laughs> it is when the minor league third baseman is ready to come up, where does Suarez go? I'll tell you where he goes. He goes to first base, and they trade Joey Hamilton. Or Joey Votto, Joey Hamilton. You know, you've been trying to trade Joey Votto now for three years, and Joey Votto, I don't think, wants to be traded. No, I don't think he does either, and I doubt he will be. But if if you ask, you ask the question, where do you put this guy, uh, you put him at first. That's the best place for him. I don't think either – you know, Suarez was a former shortstop, so he could probably play the outfield. You know, he's got a great arm, and he's quick, and, and all those things. I don't think uh, the kid, the third baseman down at, uh, at A-ball now can, can play, or double-A, can play anything but third or first. So 
you know, in answer to the, the, the thing you brought up, which is very good, uh, the announcer made the comment that the Reds ought to follow Houston. Well, if you do follow Houston, you do not keep Joy Votto. You don't. You don't keep Joy Votto. You don't keep basically anybody. You don't even keep probably Adam Duvall. Maybe. I mean, Duvall's still, what, 28, 29 years old. He's still a young man. But, uh, you know, he, he brings some power. But uh, Votto, again, he, he can hit 325, 330 like he did last year for, for a last-place ball club, and nobody notices. I still think the best home for Joey Votto is Boston. And I, I just think that there's a deal to be made there. And I'm sure Boston is looking at their production at first base. But, man, you put Votto in that lineup, uh, he makes it to the Hall of uh, He's going to be a Hall of Famer anyway. But uh, he, he would really tear up Fenway Park. You know, you're, you're so, you are concerned right now with the way Hamilton's hitting and Shebler is hitting. Should Indian fans be concerned over the way Edward Encarnacion is hitting right now? I have not been following him on a, at that basis, but, but you have. And you said he's making solid contact. And that's, that's the thing. The, you know, you can't, in baseball, all you can do is hit the ball hard. You, you can't really direct the ball in baseball as much as people think you can. Uh, you swing and you put the bat on the ball and you hope for the best. And great hitters will put the ball in play more often than not. Uh, but I think EE is going to be around and I think when it warms up a little bit, you'll be happy, you know, with his, his performance. Uh, you know, it's funny with, with a hitter like that though, even when they're not going well, they make the lineup better just by their presence. Right. And so if he's hitting 220, 230 for a while, they're still pitching around him. You know what I mean? They're, they're still, hey, man, I don't want to mess with him. So if he can get some support behind him and in front of him, he'll come around. I mean, talent doesn't go away in a year. Well, the thing that you and I have alluded to over the previous half hour of the show, Mark, is that I, I heard – someone on the radio from ESPN talk a little bit uh, last week about how the Reds should take the Houston Astros blueprint, trade away all of the players that they have, and basically just get as bad as they can possibly get for the next two or three years so that they can build the farm system, they can get a lot of talent, and come back and be one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. Now, this guy on ESPN, and I... For the life of me, I don't know who it was. It was on the radio. Uh, honestly, I had never heard him before, but he made this this debate and made it sound like that's what the Reds should do and that Houston was one of the best teams in Major League Baseball right now. I don't see the Astros as one of the best teams in baseball right now. I see them as one of the maybe top 12 teams, I'm going to say, right now. In baseball, but Mark, when you look at their ball club, they were pathetic for about three years. And then they started to win. They got the youth movement going, they got the youngsters coming up, and they became exciting to watch. They're still exciting to watch. But I just, I don't see the Reds have to go that route, Mark. They've got talent on this major league roster that's young. I mean, we talked last week, they've got seven rookies 
on this major league roster. They're the youngest team in baseball right now. I don't think they've got to go the route that Houston went. Well, I think the guy, whoever said that, he's not looking at the last three years. The Reds have lost more games the last three years than any team in baseball. So they've paid their dues. And now they have a team. It's not going to win the division. Uh, but this team could play 500 ball this year. And, again, if they can make it until June and get Bailey, DiSclefani, Finnegan, and Mesoraco back, you add that to any roster, it's going to be a better team. So, and, and you know, I, I really like the Scooter Jeanette pickup. I think he's easy. Really oh, what a great! That was that was outstanding. Yeah, he, he's a. I really like him, and so I, I look up and down this roster, and as I said, this is the year a lot of guys will stamp their position and their place in this organization. You're going to have guys. Maybe it's Winker. Uh, I, I think Suarez has done that already. Uh, Barnhart has. Adam Duvall, if he has another good year, he'll be around for a long time. But guys like Peraza and Hamilton and Shebler and Alcantara, uh, a few other guys, their positions are not secure yet. They have to prove it over a long period of time. And the, the thing I like about what I see in the Reds organization is not just on the 25-man roster. It's in it's in AAA, it's in AA, it's in advanced single A. I mean, they've got some studs down there. And they're going to be pushing these guys for, for the next couple of years. So I think whoever said that on ESPN, he's not paying attention. The Reds have already bottomed out. And I see them now starting to take off with this team. Again, they're not going to win the division, but I think they're going to be a pretty fun team this year. Well, gee, imagine that. Somebody on ESPN not paying attention. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that, that's hard to believe. You know, speaking of ESPN, I was getting ready to watch the Cardinals-Yankees game last night. And it was interesting that they were interviewing Yadier Molina before the ball game. And Greg Mitchell, our producer, asked me this question. Is Molina a Hall of Famer? What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think he is. If you use the measurement of is he the best at his position during his era. And I'm not sure he has the best statistics. I don't know. Uh, but I think he's been the most dominant catcher in the last 10 years, 12 years that he's played. And he probably will remain there for the next three or four years. So I think that makes you a Hall of Fame candidate. Uh, what, what I like to do is compare statistics of position players. Uh, like compare shortstops to shortstops. You can't just look across the board and say because a guy hit had a lifetime batting average of 306 or whatever that he, he's a Hall of Famer because it depends on the position he played. I would put more value on a uh, Yadier Molina as a catcher because I, I think that's a premium position, maybe the most premium position. So he could have a lifetime batting average like Johnny Bench did. But Johnny Bench's lifetime batting average is, what, 268 <laughs> or 270? Uh, he had a lot of home runs, but he was the best catcher during his era. And that's what I think Molina is. And, yes, yeah, so in answer to your question, I do think he's a Hall of Famer, assuming he doesn't get hurt and he can finish, you know, play a few more years. Uh, I think every every statistic you could look at would would 
validate the fact that he is the best catcher over the last, I don't know, 10 years for sure. See, I, I take the the opposing view. I'm not sure he is a Hall of Famer. Um, now, certainly he has had a fine career. I would say that he has been just shy of great. I don't think, for example, that he has been outstanding. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at his stats right now, Mark, and quite honestly, there there's nothing in his stats that will pop your eyes out. I mean, his his best year home runs wise was in two thousand twelve where he had twenty two. He had a career high the following year in RBIs of eighty. Uh he hasn't done anything up up until that point his best year mark as far as RBIs was 76 the year before and 65 before that. He's never been a league MVP. Yeah, he's been solid behind the plate. He's had a he's had good a good arm. He's had a, a good percentage of throwing out base runners. I'll give him that. Yeah, he's good at handling pitchers. But quite honestly, Mark, I mean if you look at some of the era, uh, eras of catchers throughout the history of Major League Baseball, I, I don't think he even matches up with a Pudge Rodriguez. And I'm not even sure that Pudge Rodriguez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I thought Pudge did deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And again, you, you kind of glanced over, yeah, he handles the pitchers. That Cardinal pitching staff over the last decade has been one of the best in baseball. And I think a lot of it has to do with Molina. And that that's the intangible that's it's hard to measure. The guys who See, here's here's where I have a problem with that. Everybody says that these guys, these catchers, do a great job of of handling a staff, including me. But you know, no, there are there is not a catcher today that calls his own game. He doesn't do it. They get the signs from the bench. If you watch all these major league games, Mark, they're getting the signs from the managers or the pitching coach. They don't call the pitches. Yeah, so they, these catchers anymore, they don't they don't call their own game. They they don't handle these pitching staffs other than to go out and maybe slap them upside the head every once in a while. You know, to get to get the best perspective on something like a catcher, uh, whose whose work is kind of, uh, I think, underappreciated. It's how you frame the pitch. It's it's your quickness behind the plate, how you handle positioning uh, and, and setting up with the umpire. All those intangible things you can't grade really. I tell you, if you want to find out. Who the great players are, ask the other players that they play against because they know. And when you have a guy like Molina, and I'm not saying he's a a surefire Hall of Famer because he doesn't have the stats, but most catchers don't. They don't hit a lot of home runs. At least they don't now. They did back in the 70s. It was a different game then. Now, would, would he be, you know, he reminds me a bit of Manny Sanguian who played for the Pirates back in the day. And Sagian was a really, really good catcher. But he was, you know, up, he was being rated against uh, even Bob Boone and Johnny Bench and Steve Yeager and all these guys who had a lot of power and were much better na- named players. But I talked to a couple of guys I played senior ball with who played for the Pirates, and they said Sagian was an unbelievably great catcher. But he was overshadowed. Now, let me ask you a question. If, if Molina in the last 10 years has not been the catch, best catcher in baseball, who has been? 
You know, that that's a good question. But just because a guy is the best at his position during a certain era does not mean he's a Hall of Famer. But it doesn't mean he's not. And uh, you couldn't answer the question, and neither can I. I, I can't think off the top of my head of a standout catch, catcher of the last 10 to 15 years except Molina. To me... Let me let me put it to you this way, Mark. Sandy Alomar Jr. has better stats than Yadier Molina. Well, Manny Sanguian, you just brought him up, has better stats than Yadier Molina. But yeah, Yadier I, Molina has played 14 years, and I'm looking at his stats right now. 14 years, he's got 109 home runs, Mark. He's got 709 RBIs in his career. That's 50 RBIs a year. A 50 RBI man, catcher or not, belongs in the Hall of Fame? Well, number one, discount his first two or three years because coming up as a rookie, he probably played and didn't get a lot of playing time at at the beginning. But, again, I think the question that has to be answered is, in his era, is there a better catcher? And, again, I I go back to the point that if he – it doesn't – I see where you're coming from, but still, just because he's the best at his position during that era does not mean that he's a Hall of Famer. Well, if it doesn't mean he's a Hall of Famer, it means he has to be considered. Because, uh, number one, this is he, he has not, you know, in the steroid era, how many of those catchers were taking the juice and we don't know about it? I don't know. But looking back on those statistics back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even the early 2000s, he's played in an era where that does not exist. And I think there's more value to a catcher than just what he does offensively. And if you look over, if I don't, if I'm not misremembering this, uh, the last two or three years, he's had some pretty good years statistically. And No, I, he hasn't. I just gave you the best years of his career. No, 2012. What was his bad? 2012. He had 22 home runs and 76 RBIs. The following year, he had 16 homers and 80 RBIs. Before those years and after those years, he hasn't had over 65 RBIs, Mark. Well, and that was only twice. Dave, he was injured the last two years. And how many games did he – well, what's the most games he's played in a year? Uh, I just went away from his stats because okay. I, find, I remember a guy that – I think belongs in the Hall of Fame more than he does. A.J. Pierzynski. Pierzynski caught 19 years in the major leagues. All right? If you look at his stats, Mark, as far as home runs, 19 years, 188. RBIs, 909. He caught in 2004, or, uh, 2059 games, Mark over a 19-year career. Now, let me go back to, I I agree with you, let me go back to Yadier Molina, okay, and and bring up his stats. I I beg beg you to, to listen to these stats on Yadier Molina because he is nowhere near that. He's played in 14 years. He's caught in 1,600 games, okay? He's got... Home runs, 109. RBIs, 709. Batting average isn't even anywhere near what 
A.J. Przinsky's was. I'm trying to get his batting average right now uh, on this this crazy thing. And but he's he's never won. He's won the uh, All Star MVP three times, four times. But he's never won the most valuable player. Well, let me put it this way: if I'm putting a team together and I have a choice between Przinsky and a Molina, I take Molina all day. Number, and don't forget, Brzezinski also DH'd a lot the, the last five or six years of his, his career. And he was not even... No, he didn't. No, he didn't, Mark. He okay. didn't DH. Okay. He was playing the last three years in Atlanta. He also DH'd uh, during his career because he, he didn't catch every game. He DH'd. And ch- you can check it out. He, he didn't... When Molina plays, he catches. And... My point is, how many at-bats did he have, Molina, over the last several years? Because a catcher doesn't play every he game. Played in 100, he played in 152 games last year. Okay. 147 that's, games the year before. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Again, I, I would take Molina all day over Brzezinski. If I'm building a team that's going to be based on pitching and defense, you want to be strong up the middle, I think Molina was the best catcher defensively for the last number of years. Yeah, his offensive production, I never said he was of a, a Johnny Bench ilk. He's not. But you ask, do I think he's a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I think he certainly is going to get a lot of consideration, and I won't be the only one that says so. He'll, he'll be on a lot of ballots. Well, I think he deserves consideration. I don't think he belongs. And to answer your question about how many games did A.J. Przinsky D.H.? 32. Well, that's over a 19-year career. Hmm. Catchers don't DH. You can't. I mean, that's the problem. That's one thing Terry Francona has said. You can't DH a catcher because if you've only got two on your roster, you lose the DH if you lose your catcher. Yeah, you, that's why a lot of teams now are carrying three catchers, and the Reds are going to carry three, by the way. But back to your your main point, I think. Molina is a Hall of Famer. And I'll bet you, if you ask uh, players in the National League over the last 10 years, who was the best catcher in the National maybe baseball, but certainly the National League, I'll bet you a, a very large percentage of, of players and managers would say, give me Molina. Well, a lot of people would have said at the time also, Mark, that Steve Yeager was the best catcher in the National League in the late 70s. Even over Johnny Bench, does that mean that he belongs in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I don't. I don't know because he was so overpowered by by Bench and some other catchers at the time. Uh, he didn't hit for the kind of numbers that Bench did. But Stevie Egger was a great defensive catcher. Oh, he I, was. I played against Steve in high school and in in Double A ball here in Dayton. And uh, <laughs> he had some personality quirks, but he was a real good catcher. And Do you know Steve Yeager yeah. was in Major League? Oh, I know. I know. The that. movie? Yeah. He was the third base coach. Yeah, we played together for <laughs> – I played against him for five, four or five years, and then I played with him for a year. Uh, it, Dayton had a double-A league, and we, we, I played with him. And he wasn't the friendliest guy in the world. I'm, I'm, it's so funny how you 
you go back in time, I, I haven't thought about Steve for a long time. I can still remember his father screaming and yelling and, you know, cheering and all that stuff at, at, at our games. He, he went to Meadowdale High School here in Dayton, and I went to Fairview and Fairmont. We played Meadowdale all the time, so I knew Steve. Uh, he wasn't a friend. I just knew him. But he was a great player. He was really a very good player. Yeah, I remember he was always caught in a catching circle with our favorite manager, Mike Sosha. Yeah, that's right. Hey, yeah, before we get too much further, I, I want to bring up something I heard just a couple hours before we went on the air. I don't know if you saw it or not. It was a comment made by Johnny Cueto. Did you see that? that no. Well, you know, Johnny Cueto is a great pitcher. I, I don't think he's ever been accused of being a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, but he made the comment that he has decided he wants to play the rest of his career in the American League. He can opt out of his contract this year, and he's putting the Giants on notice that he wants to play in the American League. Why? Because well, Remember, two years ago he wanted to stay in Cincinnati, too. Well, he played in Kansas City. It was two years ago, I guess. His first stop was Kansas City, and before the Giants got him, and he says it's a better league, and he wants to play with the best, and he doesn't want to. You know, he wants to finish out his career in the American League. Now, let me ask you something. You, you've been in dugouts and, and clubhouses. How do you think that's going to play with his teammates? You know, they may tease him a little bit. They. Any more, Mark, these guys are free agents. You know, some guys are on one-year contracts. I don't know how much difference it's going to make any anymore because everybody knows you're coming and going. It's all a business anymore. Yeah, I, I guess that is the, the sad truth about it. But if I was the general manager of the Giants, uh, I'm thinking, I'm paying this guy how much money? And he <laughs> can't wait to get out of town. And... You know, he'll pitch well this year because he wants to go somewhere for a bigger contract next year. But it's an interesting deal what's happened with these contracts now. Guys like Cueto have negotiated in their contracts walk-away provisions. So it becomes really a, a unilateral contract where they can walk away. It, it's like it drives me nuts with the basketball coaches. It's a unilateral contract. The university is obliged to pay a coach, you know, $5 million a year for seven years. But the coach can come in and say, look, you know, I've changed my mind. I've been here two years. Uh, I've recruited a bunch of great guys, and I'm going to take them with me. See you later, because i got a be better offer. Mm. That's, what hap that's what happened at the University of Dayton this year. And it, it's really, it's aggravating for the fan base. The number Mark, one come on. Archie Miller had been there for seven years. Actually, I think he'd been there six years, but he had five years left on his contract, and he's able to walk away. That's what ticks me off. It's it's a unilateral contract. Why don't they hold these guys to the contract? I agree with you. I I think they should. You know, I that's I, my, I honestly do. Do we agree? They uh, they should, and I don't know why they don't put that into the contracts. Hey, you're signing a seven year deal. We agree to pay you five million a year. You can't leave. If you do, you're a breach of contract. You know, in, in any other sport but but the NCAA, 
Well, I look at the well, – I mean, we're getting off the, the beaten path here in baseball, but the fact is in, in any sport in the NCAA, coaches are allowed to go anywhere they want and the players can't. Yeah, the, the, the only – it's interesting in pro sports, we were talking about the baseball contracts – like Johnny Cueto can walk away after this year. That, that's, that's relatively new. They've, they've injected that into the contract, so they, they have out clauses in the contract. They don't like the town. They don't like the manager of the team. They can say goodbye. The NFL is completely different. I mean, most of the contracts, I mean, some are guaranteed, and some parts of the contract are guaranteed. But I think I read somewhere where the average career in the NFL is 2.7 years. <laughs> These guys get the snot beat out of them. Uh, physically, and the, the team can say, "Yeah, I'll sign you to a, to a nine-year contract." And by the way, after two years, I can I can end it, and you're out yeah, on your. I, I can <coughs> cut you. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can cut you. It's it's unbelievable the way, you know. It used to be a contract was a contract. That was it. A- anymore, these things have so many out clauses in them, uh, probably more than an outhouse. It's, yes, it's goofy. I agree with you. Having said all that, Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer. You, you can <laughs> bet on it. I disagree. Nonetheless, that's going to do it for our show tonight. Mark, I uh, do want to say this, though. Here in a couple of weeks, we are going to be broadcasting a ball game from the new Crosley Field. Why don't you talk a little bit about that as we end tonight's show? We've got about a minute. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, we'll be able to announce something, I think, pretty exciting in the next couple of weeks, three weeks. Uh, but uh, we're going to be down at the uh, rebuilt Crosley Field. It's in Blue Ash off of 275, and we're going to be broadcasting uh, a senior a men's senior baseball league game. And it's going to be exciting for us to begin broadcasting amateur baseball games. And it's not just going to be senior league. Uh, Dave and I are going to be doing games uh, all over the area, uh, youth league games, and uh, we're really excited about it. And uh, maybe in a few weeks we'll have something posted on our website that can explain that more fully. But it's it's going to be fun working with Dave and doing some play-by-play. Definitely so. It'll be a lot of fun to do it. So what do the Reds have coming up this week, Mark? they got trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right here in River City. Right, right in River City. Uh, they got the Baltimore Orioles coming in and then the Chicago Cubs. And th- th- this could be the week that the Reds could lose six or, or seven games in a row uh, and-, and find themselves in last place within a week. Uh, and if they do survive this week and actually survive in- into May, then I think some exciting things can happen. But I'd much rather be in the position where the Indians are. Their record isn't as good as the Reds, but their upside is much higher. Well, the thing about the Indians, they've got a three-game set with Minnesota. Actually, a four-game set. They're going to play them tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. And then they go to Chicago to play the White Sox. So it's going to be an interesting week as the Indians are on a seven-game road trip. We'll talk more about it next week, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. You too. It's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us here this evening on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we bring you through the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show as we do each and every Monday evening. Don't forget we'll be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock talking more about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Until then, next Monday night, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody. 